Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Anchoring is basically where you are putting a price or something out there that says, here's the base price. So in my example of buying the statue, it is $50. So now I've said $50, $50 is in my mind. And now I'm making that adjustment from there onwards, which is where I guess we get the anchoring and adjustment. This can go wrong and can lead to two different kinds of biases. One we already talked about, which is that you choose the wrong anchor or your anchor is kind of moved around by your intuitive system. That causes problems. The other problem that people consistently face when using anchoring adjustment is that we under adjust. Even if we start with a reasonable anchor, we often don't move far enough away from that anchor. So I was thinking of two things that, that, that may help people. One is, and let me carry on talking about the B2B sphere. If you're in the B2B sphere, there is often, particularly for more high-priced goods, negotiation in there. So you really got to, you do have to think about this anchoring. And, and, and I would strongly recommend that people talk about it early rather than late, because that not only saves you time, but it obviously saves the potential client time. So, Colin, you're you're familiar with the retailer Neiman Marcus, yes? No, not really, to be totally honest. Okay, so Neiman Marcus is an upscale retailer in the U.S. That's why I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, they. <laughs> you may be familiar with them. Security stopping you at the front door and asking you not to come in. I'm telling this story. I'm now. I'm wondering, have I? No, I have been in a Neiman Marcus at least once. Right. But yeah. I, I'm familiar with very them, long. I'm familiar with them more as a source of stories that I tell my students right. rather than someplace that I actually show. Yeah, so a retailer classier than you or I ever personally experience, right. but famously good for customer experience and, and for high levels of service and so on. One of the things that Neiman Marcus is known for is that they put out a Christmas catalog every year, and it's it's kind of a to-do all the things that they're selling around Christmas time. And one of the gimmicks that they do for part of this catalog is there's always something kind of outrageous in the the early pages of the catalog. So for example, one year they sold mummies, like like actual ancient Egyptian mummies in sarcophagi. So you buy this thing in the Egyptian house. One year they sold personal submarines. So these like... Mm -hmm. $4 $4 million two-man submarines that you could order yeah. in a catalog. Yeah. Was it buy one, get one free? <laughs> I don't know. That, that would be a good deal, though. I mean, what are you going to do with just one sub? I mean, honestly. I mean, you always need a spare, don't you? I mean, let's be okay. Are you going to engage in, like, the underwater sub-combat games that I assume you're going to play with your friend? Yeah. Go around the marina sinking boats. So crazy stuff uh, and just kind of fun. I had assumed it was all a gimmick. Turns out that they sell out of these things every year. So somebody has Neiman Marcus mummies in their home. But another interesting thing that it it does, having these outrageously expensive, crazy things in their catalog, is the topic that we're going to talk about today, which is anchoring and adjustment. 
and researchers have, have documented this. They've run, you know, controlled experiments where they they found that this is true. Having these really expensive items, one year they had a, a, a sports car Jaguar, I think, that was covered in Svorsky crystals. So just like crazy expensive stuff. And when you see that as you open the catalog, then several pages later, when you get to the four hundred dollar bath towels, you're like, oh no, that's reasonable. And, uh, uh, so yeah. the idea is that yeah. if you get people to anchor on some number, then that biases their subsequent judgments. And so this is this is what's known as the anchoring and adjustment heuristic, and it right. produces some some reliable biases in the way that people evaluate things. And, and that's what we wanted to talk about today. Cool, good. So let, let me give you let me give you an example, and let me try to see if this example fits or not. Great. So we were in, I can't remember. I think it was like Gambia or something like that in Africa. Wow. We were staying in this nice hotel, and and we went out and walked up to the shops. And classically, in in those types of places, it's all done on a barter system. Yep. And we went in, and we saw this piece piece of sculpture or wood that we liked. Uh-huh. And decided to that we would haggle for it, and the guy said, "How much is it?" And I don't know, I can't remember the exact numbers, but let's just say I said fifty, mm-hmm. and he went, "No, you know, one hundred and fifty." And and we ended up, as usual, sort of meeting in the middle mm-hmm. somewhere. And we went back to the hotel, and obviously the hotels are normally more expensive. And this thing wasn't fifty in the hotel; it was like twenty. <laughs> so, so, you know, one of the things I thought was, yeah, this is a good way of just redistributing wealth around the world. <laughs> You're doing your part, Colin. I am. So is that sanctuary? The Neiman Marcuses in Gambia are outrageous too. <laughs> yes, that's a great example of, of anchoring. So, you know, it takes psychologists and, and decision scientists years and years to come up with a lot of this stuff that native salespeople figured out a long, long time ago on their own. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's exactly what they're doing. They set an anchor. A lot of times they will provide the anchor for you and you kind of don't know how much this thing is worth. And so you know that it should be something less than what they're telling you, but how much less? And so you end up paying a higher price than you maybe normally would have or value it more. Yeah, I, I also remember on a, this is actually another trip to, we did to South Africa. Lorraine, my wife, went outside. We were driving around in the in this car or whatever, and people selling stuff by the by the side of the the bus. Anyway, she went out there and started to haggle with this person for this again this other wooden piece of thing, and she was haggling away and wouldn't give in. And I went out there and I said, "You do realise that you're haggling over twenty yeah. cents." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a different phenomenon that we've talked about and we will talk about again. So I'd, I would classify that as, as being transaction utility. We don't want to feel like we're getting ripped off. Probably though, she was also suffering from this anchoring and adjustment because almost all haggling cultures do this where if, if you're haggling they're going to start you off about an outrageously high price because they know that you'll end up with a higher price than you otherwise would yeah no absolutely so where does this happen in i mean I, i'm presuming this is sort of happening all over the place so i mean i i guess if i'm let me go down to the other end of the market walmart so i'm seeing things that are on display there that are really low priced and therefore i'm going 
actually, this is a low price store. Yeah. So I, I do think that stores do a little bit of this, right? We talked about how Neiman Marcus, one of the first things that you see in their catalog is a really high price that makes their other high prices seem reasonable. Yeah. I think Costco does this to some extent. Sam's Club too. So when you walk into Costco and Sam's Club, the first thing that you see are their TV displays, which is the most expensive yeah. stuff in the store. I think that part of what that does is it kind of changes your reference prices so that later on in the store, when you're looking at that 30-pound jar of pickles, you know that $50 for that large jar of pickles seems much more reasonable because you just passed a $3,000 TV on your way into the aisle. So I, I do think that retailers do this. Sure. I think it's interesting to take a step back and figure out why this can be a problem for people, why it introduces biases, why we do it in the first place. Yep. And so first, it's important to acknowledge that. So this is a, a heuristic. So this is a simplifying way of making a decision. And it, we do it, we use this anchoring and adjustment because it's generally pretty good, right? So if, if you were to estimate something, if I were to ask you, you know, how tall is this tree that you see outside? It's really hard to just kind of pull a precise number out of the air. It's really useful right. to compare it to something. So you might look at it and see, oh, well, it's a little bit shorter than that three-story building next to it. And so I've, I can make some estimate about how tall a three-story building is and use that as a starting point and then adjust from there. And it's, it's generally a pretty good way of, of getting to making an estimate. So you don't just like start from nothing. You start from something that you know, and then you adjust from there. The reason that this leads to biases is two problems. There's two problems that we have. One is that we we can use inappropriate anchors or our anchors can be pushed around in ways that we're we're not aware of. So I think this is what's happening in the Neiman Marcus case. Like we've got some reference price for what bath towels should cost, but then the fact that we just saw a really a really high price, our intuitive system kind of pushes our anchors in those directions. So there was a study that was run where some psychologists asked people to estimate the boiling point of water at the top of Mount Everest. So you've probably got an anchor for the boiling point of water, you know, 100 degrees Celsius or, or 212 degrees Fahrenheit. What they did, though, to mess with people is they said, so first question, is the boiling point of water at the top of Mount Everest above or below 50 degrees Fahrenheit? Everybody got that question right. They then said, okay, now what is the boiling point of water at the top of Mount Everest? And some people were asked if it was above or below 50 degrees. Some people were asked if it was above or below 500 degrees. Everybody got those questions right. Everybody knew it was above 50 and below 500. But the fact that you'd considered those numbers, your intuitive system kind of incorporates that into your anchor and it pushes your anchor away from the 212 that you should have started with and pushes you in a higher low direction. So there was more than a hundred right. degrees temperature estimate difference among the people who got these two different anchors. So people who were asked, is it above or below 50? guessed it was 134.9. People who guessed asked if it was above or below 500 guessed that it was 274 degrees. So just this huge swing based on this anchor that, that everybody right. knew was wrong. Everybody knew that it wasn't 50. Everybody knew that it wasn't 500. But your intuitive system incorporates that sure. information and assumes on some level that it must be important if we're thinking about it. My question is, why would you want to boil water at the freezing. top of Everest anyway? <laughs> 
Yeah, but why lug the water up there? If you've got a fire, then you don't need the water, do you? Name me a better place on earth for a cup of hot cocoa. I challenge you, Colin. Yeah, it's a long way to go, though, isn't it? Maybe, I'd rather go down Maybe if you were in your personal submarine at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, it's also cold down there. Maybe that would also be a good place for your hot cocoa. But I, I, yeah, no, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on this point, Colin. I think boiling water. <laughs> So I was thinking that it's obviously when you start talking about, you know, well, the the size of the tree and, you know, that that means it's – so that's really your rational system, isn't it? Trying to come up with things that are are going, okay, you know, therefore, I don't know, a story is, I don't know, 20 foot or whatever it may be. But absolutely, it's being influenced by your intuitive system as well. Exactly right. I also wondered where, therefore, sort of that mental accounting – part came in and and does that have an effect on anchoring in terms of the the rational system part well no in terms of the sort of the anchoring part you know so if i'm mentally accounting and and just yeah stay with me for a while and go, go and bowl some water up at the top of everest whilst i talk about this oh I, well i i never record these without a hammock in the room <laughs> so i'm just i'm gonna lay back you ramble i'll <laughs> i'll come back in when when you're done so the, the mental accounting part, and for people that haven't listened to the episode before, it would be worth going back and listening to. So mental accounting is effectively that we sort of compartmentalize different mm-hmm. payments. Yep. I was talking about with my wife the other day who was, we've got some, I would call it junk, in the garage, and she's trying to sell, the, she's trying to sell this mirror. And I'm going, it's only, you know, you only want $35, you know, you know, we spend that, you know, a a drop of a hat on things, you know, so it's just that she's compartmentalized it, basically. So uh, what I was hypothesizing is that if you're anchoring something, it depends upon the the compartmentalization, i.e. the mental accounting. Does that make sense? is Is this something that is that I really value and therefore I am going to spend as much money as I as I want on it or I you know this is something I really need or is this sort of more of something that's sort of frivolous that that, that I want and therefore I maybe I've I'm feeling a bit guilty about spending you know buying a submarine or something does that make sense yeah I mean I I I've never heard those ideas tied together in that way but I I do think it's an interesting way of thinking about anchoring you could almost think of it as, you know, uh, one way of thinking about it might be as kind of a, a failed mental accounting. So arguably part of the reason that our, our anchors get biased is because we're, we're failing to compartmentalize. Right? We should have realized that the price of a submarine is irrelevant to, you know, the price of, of bathwater or, or this, you know, random temperature that was thrown out there is irrelevant to the, price, the temperature that we're actually trying to estimate. But instead of compartmentalizing those things effectively, maybe the, this is an instance where they're bleeding together too much and, and failing sure. to be accounted for. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com contact. It also makes me wonder whether you can anchor in the other direction or whether maybe, again, I'm just confusing things. So 
we're assuming sort of we're we're turning around and saying okay we're anchoring my immediate reaction is that that is a, a lesser price yeah maybe maybe that's the wrong assumption to make i'm not sure i understand so how do you mean well i, I was thinking back to the 400 dollar towel uh-huh. yeah Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the fact that actually if if there's a towel there that's under $400 and it's only $50, I reject it because it's less than less than what I thought it was going to be. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. So my, my anchor may be $400 right. and therefore when they're selling a $400 towel, I'm going, yeah, that's about right. But, you know, there may be a, another towel that's only $50 and I'm going, well, actually – you know, that's too cheap. But that's probably, we're now talking about loads of these things and, and referring to loads of different uh, podcasts for people to listen to, <laughs> because that's probably extremeness aversion, then, sure, isn't it? We are nothing if not self-promotional. <laughs> that's one of the anchors, yeah. So you are not alone in that. So th- some people take an expansive view of defining anchoring right? and, and use it in exactly the way you're talking about, where, you know, reference point evaluations or reference price evaluations may be thought of as a kind of anchoring where you're, you're bringing some number to this experience and then you're comparing prices in that way. I tend to be a little bit more doctrinaire about this. Even some psychologists, even some people in the sciences would use the term in exactly the way that you're using it. Right. I try to, to distinguish a little bit between reference point effects, and, and we've talked about those a lot and we'll continue to because it's just such an important phenomenon. And anchoring an adjustment as being a, a very specific heuristic right. used to generate numbers. So right. I'm kind of setting maybe even an artificial boundary around this term just to try to kind of make it more understandable. But it, for you or for others who are using the term in that way, you are not alone and a lot of people use it in exactly that way. And it's a very similar phenomenon, right? Where you're you're bringing this reference point and using it to evaluate something else that may be close or far away from that reference point. Right. Right. Okay. Can you just explain reference points briefly for the listeners that haven't listened to it? Because we've now, this is now the seventh podcast that we've been referring to. We'll be making less. In fact, I think we should just start off with quizzes at the beginning of all of our (laughs) podcasts. Good idea. People need to come prepared to listen to us, Colin. You know, they need to do their homework. That's right. So, reference points the basic idea with reference points is that the way we evaluate anything is by comparing it to some kind of reference point. So is this weight heavy or light? Well, some of that will depend on what you were expecting the weight to be and, and what your previous experience was. Reference points are in part very important because they're, they're a part of Kahneman Tversky's prospect theory, which we've talked a lot about. Yep. And where you are relative to the reference point will invoke things like loss aversion or, or diminishing sensitivity. So it's, it's very, very important to know what your customer's reference points are. What were they expecting? Exactly the same customer experience can be evaluated as, as good or bad, depending on the reference points. You know, I, I joke that exactly the same experience will be a colossal failure or over-the-top successful, depending on whether the person had that experience at the Four Seasons or at a Best Western, right? Because you're bringing a different sure. set of expectations. So we've been talking a lot of... This is probably the the podcast where we've talked most about different theories and how they interact with them. This is kind of a greatest hits podcast. It is, yeah. And I'm now conscious that people may be thinking, what in the bloody hell are these people talking about? (laughs) So let's go back to some basics. Yes. Anchoring is basically where 
you are putting a price or, or or something out there that says here's the base price so in my example of of buying the statue mm-hmm. it is you know fifty dollars yep. yeah yep. so now i've said fifty dollars fifty dollars is in my mind and now i'm making that adjustment from there onwards which is where i guess we get the anchoring and adjustment exactly part. yeah and and in right. terms of why this is important as a cognitive bias why this is important to study if we want to understand decision making this can go wrong this can lead to two different kinds of biases one we already talked about which is that you choose the wrong anchor or your anchor is kind of moved around by your intuitive system that causes problems the other problem that people consistently face when using anchoring and adjustment is that we under adjust just consistently all the time even if we start with a reasonable anchor we often don't move far enough away from that anchor so let me give you another example of this. This is this is from our friends Kahneman and Tversky, the guy who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow. Kahneman won the Nobel right. Prize a few years ago for, for work like this. Yep. So they gave people one of two math problems and asked them to do these math problems very, very quickly. So they had to estimate an, a number within five seconds. And so some people got this math problem. What is eight times seven times six times five times four times three times two times one? Other people got this math problem that they also had to estimate very quickly in five seconds. What's one times two times three times four times five times six times seven times eight. So if you remember the transitivity property from third grade math, you know that these are exactly the same problem, right? They're, they're both eight factorial. They're both eight times all the numbers smaller than them. So you should get the same answer. Anchoring an adjustment, though, predicts that people would not give the same answer. Which of those two, Colin, based on what we've talked about, which of those two do you think resulted in the higher estimate? One that started with eight or the one that started with one? Um, let me just get my coin. <laughs> yes, that's eight. exactly right. I knew it. You I knew it. it. I, I calculated that in my head, and I stood a 50-50 chance of getting it right, and I did it. And there's no way that Colin's answer was adjusted in post-production through editing. He <laughs> knew it from the beginning. Yeah, we have another version where I blew it four times. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. So when you look at these numbers written out on a page, you know, we start left to right because that's what we, re- we read in English. And so people are starting with the eight and then they're multiplying eight times seven and they get some kind of estimate for that. And then they're multiplying eight you know, that number times six, and they're getting some estimate of that. And then they're running out of time. And so they just kind of adjust from there. And that results in a number. People who are starting with the number one, well, now they're doing one times two, which is just two, two times three, which is six, six times four. And now they're running out of time. And so they adjust from that anchor and they end up with very different different numbers. So the numbers that people estimated are for the, the version that starts with eight, 2,250 on average. And for the version that starts with one, 512 on average. So this is an instance of one of those two biases we talked about. People are using kind of the wrong anchor. The anchors are are too low. Here's the other problem. People are wildly under-adjusting. So do you want to take a guess as to what the real number is if you multiply all those together? This is, I'm, I'm asking you really unfair questions. No, my battery on, my, the battery on my calculator has just <laughs> gone, mate. So, sorry. The real answer is 40,320. Wow. So even people who were kind of closer, yeah. they only guessed 2,000. And the answer was really 40,000. So 
we can start with wrong anchors. That's one problem. Sure. And the other problem is that we we under adjust in some cases dramatically under adjust. Are we saying that anchoring is only for numbers? Yes. So the way that I've defined it very narrowly is okay. It's how we we come up with numerical estimates. Okay. All right. So it's not on other sort of daily life things like I don't know a delivery. I expect that this will be delivered in two weeks, but even in saying the word two is a clearly a number. That's right. I mean, I, we can kind of push numbers a little bit. Like I think that you can use anchoring and adjustment to de- try to figure out how likely something is to happen. Right. And so I don't think we need to like come up with actual precise numbers, but when we talk sure. about like the length of time or, or the likelihood, these are, are, you know, kind of close enough to numerical estimates that I think that anchoring sure. and adjustment could could influence us but anchoring and reference points are similar very similar yes in fact some people as i said some people use the terms interchangeably i i choose not to but i'm kind of a prude right so yes, yes a lot of people use anchoring to refer to reference point my friend graham i was out on the boat with him a couple of years ago fishing mm-hmm. and i asked him to throw the anchor over mm-hmm. he did and five minutes later i still wondered why we were moving and he hadn't tied the anchor onto the boat. <laughs> and he said, you didn't tell me to do that. <laughs> okay, but that's a different form of anchoring. But I just wanted to get that story in there. If he had taken the anchor and thrown it and it didn't make it out of the boat, then we could argue that he had, he had under-adjusted with his anchor. And, and I think that would be, that would be a bias. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Okay, so uh, let's usual question. What does this mean that people should should do? Yeah, well, if you're ever in a situation where you want to influence somebody's judgment, it would behoove you to provide an anchor rather than relying yep. on them to do it or the natural environment to do it. So there's been lots of studies on negotiation tactics. And the advice that that these the research produces is that you should always provide the initial anchor in a negotiation. So if you're negotiating salary, you should come in and provide that initial offer of what you think your salary should be, because on average, you're going to end up with a higher salary than if you allow the employer to provide the anchor and then negotiate up from there. Yeah. Some of, not all of it, but some of the gender difference in salaries has been found to be caused by this. So men are on average, lots of exceptions to this, but on average, men are more likely to go into a salary negotiation and provide the first number. Whereas women for various kind of cultural reasons tend to allow the employer to provide the first number. And so even if they're both kind of negotiating up or down based on that anchor, you're better off if you provide a high anchor first. Sure. Sure. I have to say it's something we do with our clients, actually, which is because, you know, it's one of those sort of unwritten rules that people don't like talking about budget, basically. 
you know, and it sort of becomes sort of socially unacceptable to talk about budget. But the amount of time that, particularly at the beginning of when I started Beyond Philosophy, I used to spend loads of times just, you know, talking to people about numbers. Oh, sorry, talking to them about what we could do and how we could do it and everything else. And then when you when you finally give them a number, they turn around and go, "Well, we haven't got the budget right. for that." And then you just what you just learn is you just got to talk about it up front, basically. Yeah. And there are things you can do. You know, you can down scope, you can produce other options and everything else. But uh, I do think it's an important thing, particularly in the B two B sphere. So I was thinking of two things that, that that may help people. One is, and let me carry on talking about the B two B sphere. If you're in the B2B sphere, there is often, particularly for more high-priced goods, negotiation in there. So you really got to, you do have to think about this anchoring. And, and, and I would strongly recommend that people talk about it early rather than late, because that not only saves you time, but it obviously saves the potential client time as well. And, you know, you got to think about, well, what's the price that you're going to be talking about and therefore the, the, the scope of your services, etc. The second thing that I would, I would think that you need to do from a, a more business to consumer side is, and that sort of falls into two, two bits for me. One is you got to understand what customers are going to be willing to pay for the product. Mm-hmm. And therefore you've got to then think about how you get that communication over and how you anchor them. And if you go to some of the examples that, that, that you've talked about, there are tactics, shall we call them, that you can use, i.e. the, the catalogue and putting things yes. up front and putting the TVs at the beginning of the store that can influence customers' behaviour subconsciously without them realising that they're being influenced in that way. And that's clearly happening today. Maybe there's just not a label put on it as we're doing at the moment. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks very much for everyone listening today. And we hope that's been of use. If you've got any suggestions of what we should cover, if you've got any questions, then please just drop us a line at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. We're always really pleased to hear from our listeners and any feedback that you want to give us or anything else, um, that'll be, that's absolutely well received as well. So thanks very much for your time and talk to you soon. Cheers. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.